This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, I'm Hannah Wilson, and welcome to my Monday night show, where tonight I will be joined by Bruce Robertson talking about his new book, Power Up Your Pedagogy, um, with illustrated handbook of teaching with sketch notes by Finola Wilson. So if you have any questions, pop them in the chat and hope you enjoy tonight's show. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Hello and welcome to the show. Um, we're just waiting for Bruce to come in, so hopefully he'll be able to connect soon. Hi, Hannah. Are you there? Oh, brilliant. I'm here. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good, thank you. It's always that moment where it's like, is technology going to work? I know, yeah. It can be your best friend or your worst enemy. Um, welcome to my Monday night show. Um, it's great to have you on, and, and I'm very excited about your book, as I kind of uh, chatted to you about previously. Um, what made you decide to write this book? Yeah, thanks, Hannah. Um, we're really excited about it as well. This is a, it's a collaboration, um, myself and Fanola Wilson from Impact Wales. Um, it's called Power Up Your Pedagogy, the Illustrated Handbook of Teaching. Um, it's come about really as, uh, well, I, I wrote the Teaching Delusion Trilogy um, over the past few years. Um, three years ago today, actually, the first book in the Teaching Delusion Trilogy was published. And then 18 months later, um, I published two follow-ups. That was um, Teaching Strikes Back, which is the Teaching Delusion 2, and Power Up Your Pedagogy, which is the Teaching Delusion 3. Um, that third book, um, you know, it, it really does what it says on the tin. It's, it's, it's a book which focuses on pedagogy and I felt might lend itself really quite nicely to the sketch notes which I'd seen on Twitter, produced by Fanola Wilson from Impact Wales, I thought these were fantastic. Um, we have them in our school. I'm the head teacher of Berwickshire High School, which is in the, the Scottish borders. And we have Fanola's sketch notes on display in our professional learning library. I reached out to Fanola about um, 15 months ago, um, December 2021, and said, how would you feel about doing some work together um, and creating um, an expanded visual version of the Teaching Delusion 3, Power Up Your Pedagogy. And um, well, it just became its own book. It's got, um, it's got new text by me. Um, it's got the wonderful fetch, sketch notes by Finola Wilson. And it's just got a whole lot of new content in it. So we're really, really excited about it. I love that, because that's how I, I remember stumbling upon 
impact wales is get notes uh on twitter and i just instantly fell in love i don't know whether it's the art teacher in me that just loves uh how they're put together so as soon as i saw that your book was coming out i was like i am so excited that to see that kind of imprint and see it all put together and it and it is that really nice kind of thing of especially for me I'm a very visual and I like the idea of having the illustrations and then it helps me understand the text better and think about how I can put it into context so I definitely think it, it kind of adds a different level in terms of when you're reading it as to um, putting those pedagogies kind of to life as well which is great. Oh definitely you, they, they serve as a visual summary um, of the key messages from from the text that surrounds it um, they look incredible I don't, I don't think I've counted them up, but there must be 40 or 50 of them in total. Um, and we received advanced copies of the book um, about a week ago. And, you know, it just looks even better than I'd imagined that it would. We'd seen the, the PDF mock-up and it looked great. Um, and it's available, you know, to buy electronically as well. It looks amazing. But um, the hard copy of the book, it's, it's really quite special. I think that's the, the thing. It just brings it to life. It's got all that kind of the colour and the kind of like little kind of diagrams kind of explaining it but also it gives it that little quirkiness I like the kind of even down to kind of the misconceptions of, mm. of really explaining the differences and um, so it's nice that there's kind of as well as like the diagrams and and the like flow charts and things like that so I just think it kind of makes it really interesting to read and then also like the the colors and the the design of it just makes it really. E I was qu quite surprised at how quick I read it because no, I'm a really, oh, I'm, really? I'm, yeah. I'm dyslexic, so um, mm. uh, I struggle with reading. So for the, for me, the fact that it was so easy um, to read and kind of dip around in was really nice, and um, because well, it's structured in a, a really unusual way, I think. Right. So it's in three parts. Um, part one is powered up professional learning, and it's all about how. In a school, you can go about professional learning in what I think is is, is the right way. Um, so it talks about professional learning planning and how you might go about that. And it's got a real focus on coaching um, and how you might go about that. That's, that's the first part, powered up professional learning. The second part is called a crash course in learning. And it's really a distillation of key messages from cognitive science and educational research about what learning is and how learning happens. Um, it's structured as 13 learning lessons. Um, so it, it takes you through um, some really important principles um, step by step um, as 13 learning lessons. And then what it gets into in its third part, the biggest part of the book, um, is the powered up pedagogy section, which really splits um, classroom pedagogy into 12 elements and then explores, again, what, what research says about these things, um, offers some some practical illustrations about what strong practice could look like, um, signposts some common pitfalls, um, but really it's just designed to to support teachers with particular aspects of pedagogy. So if you're teaching and you think, well, I'm really looking to to further develop my questioning or the way I present content, my use of learning intentions, differentiation, discussion, feedback. It's all there and split into 12 different elements. So the first section, um, looking at the kind of professional learning and the coaching, why, what is it about coaching that you deem so important in education now? So 
we know that it's actually very difficult to get teacher CPD to translate well into improvements in practice. There's, there's something of a disconnect between professional learning and changes in practice in the classroom. Um, coaching um, is a model which I think has great power. Um, we're using it in our school. Um, there are other books that, that, that talk about coaching and come at it in different ways. And the walkthrough series, for example, which is really, really good. Um, this comes at coaching from a slightly different way. Um, it, if you take a particular element of your teaching practice, say you're questioning, well, what that section on questioning does is it, it, it breaks it down into different themes and then offers what it calls power-up prompts. So these are like statements that, that get you to stop, to pause, to reflect on your practice, either yourself um, or in collaboration with a peer. Um, might be, be another teacher in the school, might be your line manager, might be deputy head teacher, but you, you've got this, this common steer, the, the power-up prompt. Um, and, it, and it's just really getting you to, to think about a really specific aspect of your practice. And the way that it can work in coaching, the way that we're using it in Berwickshire High School, um, we have a team of coaches and any teacher who would like to be coached, um, well, well they're, they're being offered that. Somebody will drop into a lesson for 10 to 15 minutes, no more than that. We've agreed a particular power-up prompt that the teacher is, is really thinking about and focusing on. And that's all that is really looked at in the lesson. And then a short time afterwards, a 10 to 15 minute conversation about that particular power-up prompt. So it's, it's really helping us to come at particular elements of pedagogy, such as questioning, in a really specific way, you know, breaking it down into the different components of questioning. For example, um, the questions we ask are good for making all students think. Because I liked that, because in terms of very much, I think this book could be done in either way, that you could have it as a teacher, that you're kind of invest in it yourself, or it could be used in a whole school setting where you kind of all have a copy and you can work and it has those discussion points so it's, it's quite nice in terms of a whole school CPD that is kind of set up that you could work out through it rather than having to kind of do the resources to go with it it kind of has that um, set up and I like the power prompt it really kind of made me think oh hang on have I done that is that how have I done that in my lessons is it quite and it and it, and it makes me think delve in a little bit deeper like is it everything that I think it is am I right. is it surface level or is it is it deeper which is quite nice yeah that's exactly it so there's there's a teacher who I'm working with in our school at the moment um I'm I'm, I'm their coach and what we're focusing on is the power up prompt students listen carefully to each other's answers so they can learn from these that that's the specific aspect of questioning that we're really focusing on students listening carefully to each other's answers and what the book offers are different trusted techniques that accompany the different prompts. So for this particular prompt, there are four different techniques that it suggests are useful to really practice in a deliberate way, getting better at or, or introducing into your practice. So bounce, catch, say it again louder and amplify. So this particular teacher is really focused on amplify, which is where a student gives a particular answer to a question, but it's quite quiet. That, that, that's the experience of this teacher with his class that, that often when students answer the questions, it's quite quiet and nobody else can really hear. So the amplify technique is the teacher 
repeating back what the student said word for word so that everybody has that opportunity to, to hear it and then to think about it and then maybe to comment on it. So he's focusing on amplify and, and say it again louder, which is similar, but instead of the teacher repeating that word for word in a louder way, um, he's actually asking the students to, to repeat their answer, but louder. And he's trying to get that culture going in, in the classroom so that whenever a question is asked, students, when they answer, say it loud enough for everybody to hear. And it's that you've got multiple prompts per section. So it kind of builds itself, doesn't it? it can, you kind of stop and reflect at each bit as opposed to kind of at the end of that section. Right. Yeah, that's 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 exactly it. So um, each chapter um, is maybe 10, 12 pages long. And then throughout the chapter, um, you're right, it's, it's just broken up with a power up prompt, which basically serves as a summary of the key messages that went before it. So it's supposed to be bite sized chunks. Um, and I think that's that's the way that coaching coaching works best. I think when it's really when it's bite size, and when it's really really specific. And it it's it I like the kind of non examples almost the bits where it's like um, this is how some people would do it, but it's not quite correct. And this is how you do it, so it it really sinks in and embeds the learning. And I like that kind of especially from, I, I quite often have trainee students and I love teaching trainees and, and early careers teachers. And it's, I think that for me is quite vital is having those kind of examples of like, you're doing this at the moment, but if you just did this, it's going to make more of an impact. And I kind of, I think that's really the thing about the book for me was that it, it's going to improve your teaching. And it, it, it's that kind of almost constant kind of, just remember exactly how to do it properly as opposed to just doing it and thinking you're doing it properly. Yeah, absolutely right. So it's the principles of good teaching that really um, try to underpin this book. So the idea of breaking things down into small chunks, um, offering strong examples, but then exactly as you say, Hannah, offering non-examples as well and, and really making that clear. Um, because if a teacher is is reading something like this themselves it, it's so often to to misunderstand something um, and then to to go off down a blind alley so it's it's just trying to to make everything as as clear as it possibly can and that's why it works as quite a good uh, coaching tool i guess is that it it makes you as a coach make sure you're delivering it properly as well and um, that so it's it's nice that it's it's one of those that especially if if I was a trainee teacher I'd want this in my back pocket because it, it kind of breaks down all the the teachery terms and kind of all the pedagogy that is um spoken about but not necessarily it's quite a lot to take in and that you can kind of dissolve it in your own time and kind of dip in and out of the different pedagogies but then you've also got it as that coaching tool that you can kind of be like okay this week we're going to work on kind of our routines and, and our entry and retrieval and things like that so you can kind of dip into using it as a as a coaching tool or if as a trainee with, with your course you don't necessarily have to read it in order if that makes sense yeah that's absolutely right and um while you could have just dipped in and out of my other three books in, in the teaching delusion trilogy you, you could have done probably if you picked a particular chapter you would you would need to read all of that chapter in sequence um it's a bit more like a traditional book um, but but for this for this book, power up your pedagogy. Um, yeah, it's it's just dip in, dip out. You can you can really go anywhere that you want. 
And then they've got like little summary boxes as well, which um, <laughs> I'm like my, my dyslexia side. I'm like, I, I like that because it kind of talked me through in order of what I needed to do and make sure I remembered, um, which I think is kind of an interesting add in at the end. It's just that extra little bit. Right. Yeah. So I think it's, it's principles of good teaching again, that when you get to the end of a particular chapter, um, it attempts to summarize the key messages from that chapter. One of the elements that the book talks about is plenary review. And really, it suggests that there are two purposes to a plenary review. Um, one is to, to sum up and remind students what the key learning from that particular lesson was supposed to be, and then to try to get some measure um, of the extent to which students have actually understood what you were trying to teach them. And that's what the, the summaries at the end of the chapters are doing. And then accompanying the summaries are reflective tasks. So actually um, mini quizzes, if you like, um, to, to get you to, to think hard about what you've learned from that particular chapter. And you could choose to, to think about the questions that are asked yourself, or even better, I would suggest uh, with a colleague, um, perhaps as part of a small group. Uh, the book, I think, would lend itself really quite nicely to to in-school professional reading groups. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. The, the, the little plenary reviews I found quite interesting. I did a couple and I was just like, it just made me kind of think about my teaching practice and what I'm doing and made me be much more reflective. And I think that's what makes us good teaching is, is that if we are reflecting on our teaching, then we're always going to be improving. And I, th I think it is one of those think as teachers we want to be perfect and we want to teach to the best of our abilities but right. I don't think we're ever done we're always wanting to improve and find a new way and, and develop a new way and I think every time we stop and pause and reflect and, and kind of look at that and that is the the nice bit that it makes you do that but I think as a teaching and learning rope as well if you went oh this is my specific one I'm going to focus on this and then to come back and talk through that as a group um would be really interesting to like hear as a discussion um, and have that kind of guided questioning that kind of delves a little bit deeper into their reflections. That's right, exactly. And um, I really enjoyed writing the reflective tasks for the end of each chapter. Um, this is brand new. If, you, if anybody's read The Teaching Delusion 3, um, well, well, this is one of the many things that is new in, in this new book, Power Up Your Pedagogy, the Illustrated Handbook of Teaching. Um, it, it actually took an awful lot of time to create these uh, there are reflective tasks at the end of every chapter uh, and they did take a lot of time to write because it, it's not easy actually to come up with, with a good question which really gets people to think about um, the, the key aspects from, from the chapter in a way that could be useful. Um, but I enjoyed it but it, it took a lot of time to write them. Was it? Is it one of those that is almost kind of full circle? You're like doing what you practice, what you preach. <laughs> You're having to yeah. kind of almost make your own exit tickets for each pedagogy. Yeah, definitely. Because, you know, anybody can come up with any exit ticket, can't they? And, and I could have just knocked together these reflective tasks pretty quickly. But would they actually be useful? Um, it takes much more skill, I think, to produce something um, that, that's going to be useful to people. So I think when Fanola and I started to talk about this book in December 2021, uh, we thought that it would just take us a couple of months, but it actually took us a year. Um, it took a year to produce um, everything that's new. Um, there are, I've done some new writing for it. Um, all of the sketch notes that she has produced, um, all of the reflective tasks that I've written, 
Um, it, it took a lot of work and there was, there was a lot of discussion between us. Finola would produce um, a sketch note and then she'd send it over to me uh, and I'd get back to her with some comments on it and then she would tweak it a bit. And then you know, that, that process continued for, for each of the sketch notes and with the reflective tasks, um, I was sending them across to, to one of my friends who's a teacher and, and asking them to, to try them out himself and then get back to me with some feedback. So it was that sort of process. Was there anything that you kind of surprised you that you ended up putting in? Um, I, I, I ended up, I, I watch a lot of lessons. Um, I still do that a lot as a head teacher. And um, the more lessons I watch, the more it gets me to think about, about teaching and learning in, in different ways. So there, there's some new content added to, to almost every element you know, we said there are 12 elements of pedagogy, um, daily review, learning intention, success criteria, etc. I think there's, there's something new in almost all of them. So I guess surprising in that I didn't think I was going to be adding much more new content um, to this book. I saw it as um, an enhanced visual version of the Teaching Delusion 3, but I ended up writing quite a lot of new material for it. Is it that um, as you watch more lessons, you find um, you kind of are constantly having to tweak and change change it as you wrote it? Not change it, because everything that was said in the Teaching Delusion 3 um, held. But there would be something that I would see in a particular lesson, and I would think, well, actually, that maybe hasn't been touched on clearly enough, or an extra example here would, would just help to, to make that point a little bit better. I think that's, especially with the, the visuals help kind of get the points going, or especially like the little ones at the start of each bit, they kind of represent it. So you kind of get in your mind, oh, okay, I'm doing that. And then I'm going to read about it. Um, did it take quite a while to kind of think about how you were going to do it or what examples you were going to use for those? Because I imagine like it, it, you can, there's almost so much range, it's quite difficult to kind of narrow it down as to how to demonstrate it. So when I wrote The Teaching Delusion, um, which came out three years ago, one of the things that that book talked about was a lesson evaluation toolkit. And it was basically a framework that teachers could use to support their planning of lessons and support their self-reflection on lessons. And to try to be helpful to teachers by being as specific as it could, um, it, it, it identified the typical elements of a high quality lesson. Um, use of daily review, learning intentions, um, presentation of content, practice, feedback, questioning, discussion, etc. Um, teachers the feedback I've had about that book um, was really, really positive. And I, I know so many schools that are using something like the Lesson Evaluation Toolkit that, that the Teaching Delusion, delusion suggests um, in a way that they find really, really useful. So it was really just an extension of that. Um, I was getting feedback from teachers that it was helpful to them to break lessons down into these different elements. And then this book really just built on that. I think it's it's nice in that respect of, of of that reflection. Like, how do we get kind of people to stop being so scared of people kind of feeding back about lessons? There's that kind of 
um, kind of scaredness, isn't there, of people coming and viewing your lessons and being critical. But I think it's really important in order for us to develop, to get an outside point of view. And I liked your idea of kind of like people inviting them in and, and changing the script in terms of how we view lesson observations. Yep, definitely. So there, there's something for both parties to consider here. Um, the teacher and the person who's observing the lesson. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it that no matter how experienced you are, um, the stakes do feel a little bit higher when another lesson, another adult comes in to observe a lesson. It's, it's, that's just, just human nature, I think. But the more we do that, the more we invite other people in to observe our lesson, then the more normal it becomes and then the less, less anxious we get. I think it feels higher stakes if somebody's only coming in to observe our lesson once or twice a year. It feels like it counts for more. Um, what's the purpose of lesson observations? Well, ultimately, it, it's about professional learning. It's to support the professional learning of the teacher um, and it's to support the professional learning of the person who is observing. So when I was saying earlier that actually a lot of the new content that's come for this new book has come about as a result of observing lessons, well, well that's my own learning. I'm learning more about teaching and learning. So it's professional learning for both parties. And the book suggests really that we should try to move away from the idea of feedback and talking about um, feedback meetings because that that just makes the term feedback meeting just just makes it sound more formal and higher stakes than it needs to be um, really we, we should just be talking about um, meetings to discuss lessons um, and, and that's what we try to do in our school now um, when we're setting things up in a calendar or via email uh, we don't say feedback meeting, it's meeting to discuss lesson. Um, and, and it matters, I think, because it's that discussion that's the most important. And um, if, if, if a lesson observation isn't supporting either the teacher who was teaching or the person who was observing, but ideally both, if it's not, if it's not supporting them in a useful way to get better and better and better, then, then there was little point doing it. No, I agree. I think it's, I like going and watching other people and I'm quite happy to have people come in uh, and watch my lessons. And I think you gain a lot from it. There's this, this kind of perception isn't there with teachers that we must be perfect. Every lesson needs to be this level, yeah. but actually it's yeah. not, it's not possible to be that consistently at that high level without kind of burning out. And I think that's what your book kind of blends itself to with those reflective, almost questions that you could kind of go and observe each other as a little group and then kind of have a discussion about kind of where you've seen that. And I have done that at a previous school that where we had picked kind of focuses, we could go around and observe each other. And then we kind of went back and discussed where we how we saw it in different ways in different lessons. And yeah. that that was kind of a nice way of doing observations as opposed to it being a more formal process. And I, I think I got more out of it because of it. Yeah, definitely. But for those who are observing lessons, and I'm thinking here about school leaders, you know, middle and senior leaders, um, it's, it's about how you conduct yourself. And it's about making sure that that meeting to discuss the lesson is really useful. So I was down um, in Cardiff at the weekend and I was, I was presenting, my presentation was called Power Up Your Pedagogy. And, and I was, one of the early slides was talking about why lesson observations often aren't very useful. And I was highlighting 
uh, examples of feedback that I've heard teachers receive in different schools over the past few months. Um, things like um, you need to talk less, smile more, there should be more group work, students should be leading their own learning, um, focus on fun. And we were getting into an exploration about, about why that sort of feedback is not particularly useful. And one of the, the main reasons is because that the, there's, there's a very poor link to messages from cognitive science about how students learn and educational research about pedagogy, what's typically most likely to work and, and least likely to work in particular situations. So anybody that's going in to observe a teacher with the goal of helping that teacher to get better at something specific, well, the, the person observing has a professional oblig obligation to make sure that they really do know what they're talking about. And that conversation that they get into really, it, sh it shouldn't be grounded in ideology. It should be grounded in research from cognitive science um, about le what, what learning is and how it happens. And an early section of the book, right at the beginning, um, is how to use this book. And there's a model and it says for professional learning really to be effective, that, that there's four aspects to that. One is expert input. The next is focused reflection. The third is deliberate practice. And then the fourth is informed feedback. And what the book tries to do is offer that expert input in bite-sized chunks. The, the book is supposed to be about the expert input. And then the focused reflection comes from the book uh, by studying the sketch notes, by thinking about the power-up prompts and using the reflective tasks at the end of the chapter. The deliberate practice, well, that's about picking particular trusted techniques and practicing those things in a, in a deliberate way. But then that fourth part, which is essential really, is the informed feedback. That, that's why coaching is so important. You need somebody to come in who you trust and who knows what they're talking about to be able to watch and get into a conversation with you um, that, that's useful. The word informed is really important. The person who's observing needs to know what they're talking about. And I think it is that, isn't it? It's, it's as coaches, you need to know how to talk to people and how to deliver um, kind of feedback essentially correctly and, and make sure that it's it's got that understanding behind it. Like if you are going to tell them that they need to improve a certain area, you want to explain why that's beneficial for the students learning. So their understanding as to why that works. And that's the thing you, you have throughout it. It has, it does talk about the, the science behind it and why we know that works and, and how it works. And it breaks it down so that it's really like, that is why I'm doing this because it works in this way. And that's how it's going to help embed that learning to those students. So it's beneficial in that, in the way that somebody can then kind of uh, articulate the needs for that type of pedagogy. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And um, if middle and senior leaders are focused on getting better and better at what they do themselves, then one of the things they really should do is upskill themselves on key messages from cognitive science and educational research so that they are in a better position to get into useful conversations with teachers. If I'm being honest, I think there are uh, quite a few middle and senior leaders out there who, who believe that just because they've got into that role, well, they're something of an expert in their field and whatever they say should go. But that's not true. Um, I think 
everybody who's in a leadership position, whether that's middle leadership or senior leadership, has a professional oblig obligation to keep on learning um, in, in relation to cognitive science and educational research. That, that will make you a better school leader. And that's, um, I'm, I'm from an art teacher background and I'm very much that in my career through the decade of teaching that quite often when I'm at school, it's, it's like, oh, that, that learning technique doesn't apply to my subject. That doesn't apply to my subject. But I love kind of finding different pedagogies and trying to be like, yeah, that does, that works yeah. this way. Actually, if I use it this way, it can work for my subject. And, and I do think it's, it's people can be dismissive of certain things and new trends, but it's all based on research and there's a reason behind it working and it, they become yeah. trends is because we know that it works. And I love the fact that from an art point of view, my kids all know their color theory that is embedded. That's their key yeah. knowledge. They can uh, recall that and cause they're tested on it regularly and are able to, so they don't just draw for the sake of drawing and pick random colors that there's a, a decision behind it and they know why those colors work together and how they work together. And, and it's a more in-depth kind of knowledge and that I can, I've definitely seen through the years that that's improved the way that they do their art by having the scientific knowledge that they've yes. gained um, from looking at it. So I think it's very much like some people can be like, oh, that that won't apply to me. Oh, that that kind of thing doesn't work for me. And actually it does. You've just got to find the pot, spot in your curriculum that you can kind of embed it in and then make it work for you. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So um, learning for everyone happens in the same way certainly in terms of that that cognitive model of, of what learning is and how it happens the relationship between working memory and long-term memory um, the, the way that we we store information as knowledge um, declarative knowledge of facts and concepts or procedural knowledge of how to do things um, it doesn't matter if your subject is more theoretical or if it's more practical in nature the way that learning happens through that link between working memory and long-term memory is exactly the same. And it's not the case. It's a myth that as our pupils get older, they start to, to learn in a different way. That, 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 that's a myth, certainly, in terms of the working memory and, and long-term memory relationship. Because that's the thing, is, is you have to understand how the memory works in order to benefit our students. If you're, if you're not kind of investing and understanding that, then... Um, quite often you might misdeliver something if that makes sense if, if it's that I think there's a section in your book that talks about the idea that kids may look busy but they might not actually be learning um, and it's right. that addressing kind of that I think we, we can do that as teachers we could perhaps kind of think that we're delivering it and the kids are getting it and it's like next week they've completely forgotten it and we, we've clearly not necessarily delivered it in a way that's kind of made it stick so I think there's always ways to kind of tweak and look at it. And that's what's quite nice that it that section two, where it kind of discusses mm -hmm. the working memory and how it works and, and the lovely illustrations that kind of has that. It's, it's the chapter two. So it kind of grows, doesn't it? The chapters, chapter one's slightly smaller, chapter two is getting yeah, bigger. And then yeah. the third chapter is the big one. But they, you kind of need those stepping stones to kind of uh, understand how, how to kind of use it as it goes through. Yeah, that's right. And the learning lesson that you were referring to there um, in part two is being busy and learning are not the same thing. So that that particular section talks about the difference between a being busy activity and a learning activity. And a learning activity is one which is likely to be good at getting students to think about the specific things that we want them to learn. 
whereas a being busy activity is is only good for doing that keeping students active but it's not particularly good at getting them to think about the specific things that we want them to learn um, and then so it will it will give some different examples so um, an example that I used from research ed in Cardiff at the weekend if you're wanting students to learn about the causes of acid rain and the pedagogy that you select is to get them to to research that online and then make a PowerPoint presentation to, to sum up what they've learned well if you consider what the students are most likely to be thinking about when they type causes of acid rain into the search engine and then hit enter and then copy and paste that into the PowerPoint. Well, they're not thinking particularly hard about the causes of acid rain, therefore are very unlikely through that activity to be learning very much about the causes of acid rain. In With the PowerPoint, what they're most likely to be thinking about is the design of the PowerPoint presentation. And if your learning intention was to do with internet research skills or if it was to do with PowerPoint presentation design, well, arguably those, those two activities um, could be strong pedagogy. But if the learning intention was to learn about the causes of acid rain, because neither activity is particularly good at getting students to think about that, neither activity is likely to be a particularly good learning activity or being busy activities. It's that understanding and being able to kind of work out what is the is the, the higher level of learning isn't it and I think that's what this especially the reflective bits you can I've been going for it I was like oh no I do that bit well and then I was like yeah but if I just did that it would um mm-hmm. be a little bit better and I just think it's it's that that can take the teaching to the next level and I think also that's the thing once the students start engaging in it and understanding that you're kind of expecting a next level as well that, that they yes. rise up to it so I imagine that your the students at your schools kind of are responding well to this kind of level of teaching. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Um, certainly, what 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 teachers need um, in terms of their professional development is a degree of autonomy. The book talks about that as well. Um, you have to strike a balance between what the whole school improvement plan priorities are, but then what your individual priorities are as a teacher. Um, and you need, as the teacher, to be able to, to choose that yourself. So what the book tries to do, well, it, it, it's to offer a, a broad range of themes that, that any teacher would find something interesting in. So whether that be um, practice, behaviour management, questioning, success criteria, um, hopefully there's, there's something in there for, for everyone. And... How would, if you were a school starting kind of for their new aims for September, so that this book comes out perfectly for them to read it and then decide what they're going to um, do in September, what, where would you kind of start in terms of what thinking about their school aims and how to use the book? So if you're a school leader, then I, I definitely would start at the beginning. I, I would read that section about powered up professional learning how professional learning planning can be used um, to support continuous improvement in your school and how a coaching model can be used. I think you need to have a grasp of those fundamentals. Then it probably does make sense to go into part two, which is that crash course on learning and the 13 learning lessons, because that's going to give you um, that's going to give you that, that, that overview of the key messages about what learning is and, and how it happens. And, and that's going to underpin everything else. So I think those first two parts 
are essential reading for anyone in a school leadership position. After that, you're getting into the powered up pedagogy section, and that's where you've got the 12 different elements from lessons. You can pick and choose where you would want to go, depending on which element of pedagogy you want to focus on as a school or which element you would want to focus on as an individual teacher. But part one and part two, essential reading for, for all school leaders, I would say, and that's where I would start. And um, if you were kind of doing it from a personal point of view, because um, it, then it, was, it becomes quite big, doesn't it? Would you Would you consider kind of linking it picking almost like one that goes with the school views and one with your own or or kind of um keep them quite separate or try and find ones that kind of link together a little bit i think as a teacher you'll you'll have a a reasonably good idea about the particular element of your practice that you want to focus on improving next um because you touched on this idea earlier hannah that pretty much every teacher wants to keep getting better and better and better at what they do. It's not that their teaching isn't good enough, it's that um, it can become even better. So it, it's, it's pick, it's pick the, the element that, that you feel is, is the element for you. And, and if you're not sure, well, ask uh, a peer to come in, watch 15, 20 minutes of a lesson uh, and ask them, what, what do you think um, I could benefit by focusing on next? I I agree. I think it's it's quite nice to get other people's perspectives because sometimes you think that or that certain areas are your better areas or maybe even sometimes like I'm I'm quite guilty of it. I love kind of the psychology of teaching and and the pedagogy and I very much like delving into that. But I know that actually I kind of focus myself quite heavily on that and maybe actually there's other areas of my kind of teaching like the behavior side that actually I could look into more and understand right. more of the psychology of it behind it but actually this is kind of like my passion this is the bit that I like doing and it's and it's fun for me it's not work because it's bits that make teaching easy and I think the the more you add to your arsenal that means that your teaching is better delivered the easier teaching becomes. So yes. it's like almost an investment in yourself to make teaching easier to do. Right, that's exactly it. The teaching delusion says that, that the better we become at things, the more we tend to enjoy our jobs. So um, it's in our own interest, as much as our students' interest, to keep getting better at what we do because the job becomes easier, it becomes more fun, it becomes more rewarding. Um, and the 12th element in the book um, is called um, expectations behavior and relationships so it's quite it's one of the bigger sections in the book and, and it focuses on that area and if you were oh, i'm going to put you on the spot if you were to pick I, I don't know whether to go for i might go learning lessons first is there one of those that's like particularly your favorite kind of area probably being busy and learning are not the same thing i think that's a really powerful and important learning lesson and um what I, what i say in the book is it is impossible to completely remove all being busy activities. There will be an element of being busy in our teaching that is unavoidable. But what we can do is really try to, to minimize the being busy activities and maximize the learning activities. So learning activities, those that are good at getting students to think about particular things. So plan for thinking is what that section of the book talks about. Um, if that's, if that's the steer that you have in mind, 
when you're choosing the particular activity that you want your students to engage in? What is this most likely to get students to think about? I think that's that's really helpful. So that's probably my favourite learning lesson. Being busy and learning are not the same thing. And have you got an area that you kind of learned more about as you were writing it that's kind of developed more as you've gone through your teaching yeah definitely um the presenting content section so um i think that's is it element five i think from the powered up pedagogy presenting content um and that has a really nice link to the learning lesson which is about cognitive load uh, the learning lesson is that cognitive load theory underpins thinking and learning and then this element of pedagogy on presenting content. Uh, there was a lot of learning for me when I was writing about that. Um, I'd, I'd been reading about cognitive load theory in itself. Um, and, and actually, the way that I now present content to, to any audience is completely different to how I used to do it um, as a result of what I learned through the process of writing that particular section. I think that's quite interesting because I, I was actually talking about this on my um, teaching with dyslexia show where I had an English teacher from my school that we we're talking about things that we do as dyslexics and we, we'd say yeah. that we're quite creative and we love kind of finding new ways to present the information. Mm -hmm. We think that that's the skill that we're good at. Um, so it's interesting that I think that's quite from teachers' point of view, especially if you can get out of your department and, and see other teachers teach from different subjects and yeah. see the different ways that they deliver things, it makes it quite interesting to see the different ways and how that could be reflected in your own subject. It's not kind of just as simply um, kind of that only works for that subject, that you can use it yeah. out and around in different areas. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I hear teachers in my own school saying so often that, that what they need to do is to get out not just from their own classroom but their own department and faculty and into other areas of the school so um, i've got a couple of teachers who i'm coaching at the moment um, one works within our humanities team and the other within our sciences team and because i'm coaching them both on questioning um, they've been able to link up and that's just given them a bit of a push to to go and observe each other um, with a particular focus on questioning and, and they're using the, the power-up prompts that we were talking about before to support that. Um, but it's that coaching model that has brought that about. Uh, the two teachers in the school didn't really even know each other. So it's because I'm coaching them both on questioning and I was able to say, well, how do you feel about doing some work with this other teacher? And, and they've set up that link. And I think that's it's it's nice to kind of go out of your department and, and get it can be quite scary, but it's like get out yeah. of your comfort zone, go see other people around the school. Yeah, and the and barriers just time have that reflective it? conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you get so much from it. Every, everybody will say the barriers time. There's, there's never enough time in the job, and and let's be honest, there's never going to be. So if we think that this sort of activity is important, and I think it's incredibly important, then we need to find time for it. But we also, well, we we need to accept that it's not going to be possible to go and observe whole lessons all the time. This coaching model has observation, uses observation and discussion in a bite-sized way. So just observe 10 to 15 minutes, that's it. And just sit down and talk about the lesson for 10 to 15 minutes, that's it. So in total, we're talking about 20 to 30. It's not much time. 
exactly it's, it's quite manageable and i think that's the thing it less it does lesson notation doesn't have to be a whole hour it can be like little snippets of kind of gems that you can have that kind yeah. of discussion around that's it so um, one of the teachers that i'm coaching and questioning the teacher i was talking about who's focused on the power up prompt about um getting all students to listen and learn from each other's answers and the two trusted techniques amplify and say it again louder I'm just going into a lesson and this teacher knows that that's what I'm going in to look at and we've agreed when it is, um, yeah, 10 minutes. And, and I, I, I get enough information about what's going on in the 10 minutes to have a really useful, rich conversation with the teacher for 10 minutes sometime after. And that's the thing, the more you try these different things, the more confident you become in them i think especially as you go through teaching the more you're in it you do kind of stick to the things that you're comfortable with you question kids in the way that you've always challenged i know for me it's add build challenge i'll ask somebody then i'll like build on the answer and then i'll give a flip challenge question and that's always the way mm -hmm. i do it but i think sometimes it's interesting to kind of get out of that comfort zone and also the more you kind of do it the more you embed that and then you've got that extra thing in your arsenal that kind of uh, develops your pedagogy further yes yes that's exactly it and i was just thinking about the presenting content again and the, and the learning um i talk about this in the book that it was research ed and a presentation by a scottish teacher called robert mcmillan um, at research ed glasgow about three years ago um, so his presentation called clean up your mess and it was all about how uh, principles from cognitive load theory about intrinsic and extraneous load can really help with instructional design when you're presenting to a class. And in my own presentation to Research Ed Cardiff at the weekend, it, it was a 40 minute presentation, but I had over 100 slides because there was very, very little content on each of the slides. Each slide was either a picture or just a few words. And in the past, if I'm thinking about the way I would, I, I would present, I'd be focused on, on reducing the number of slides in total. And I would put a lot of information onto each slide. And then it would all appear at once, which isn't good for cognitive load. And I don't think I've ever been a person to read out my slides. But what I was doing was actually something worse than that, which was I was saying something which was different. It wasn't exactly the same to what was on the slide. And that's terrible for cognitive load because um, the way that people process written words and spoken words is exactly the same. So those two information streams, what you're trying to read and what you're trying to listen to, will they conflict with one another. So the way that I present now, uh, I have far less information on slides. If I do want people to, to read what's on a slide, if I've got text on the slide, then I will give time for people to read that without saying anything at all. And then I'll talk around it. So I've got better as a presenter and any teacher who, who I've worked with that, that started to do this, they will say that their, their teaching, that the presentation side of their teaching has got an awful lot better. I think that's quite interesting. I love the research ads. I've been to the Norwich one um, and I know uh, Nathan, one of our co-hosts was at the Welsh one and was very excited yeah. about it. Um, and I think it is, is that as well. Like if you, if somebody, especially at those kind of events, if somebody puts something with lots of text on, suddenly mm. everyone's trying to write it down, but then they, yeah. they can't listen and write it at the same time. And I, I think it is really important that we kind of 
forget that teachers are the same as students when it's in that kind of situation that we need to pause and give them the uptake time to consider things and that I very much do that have developed that way as well that the pictures and stuff are just a prompt for what I'm going to say next so I kind of know what I'm going to say and it's more of a prompt to then have the conversation with other people right that's it and it's that link to cognitive science and cognitive load theory that helps you to understand why because earlier in the conversation I was saying that the conversations that we have about lessons we don't really want them to be grounded in ideology we want them to be grounded in research so if somebody says to you don't read out your slides well instantly you think well why Um, and and unless there's a good solid reason and grounded in research then it's just ideology so I think it's really important that we have good solid reasons and why we're suggesting the things that we're suggesting in conversations with teachers and that's what that section part two of the book a crash course in learning that's that's what that's all about and that's how, like, as a, a leader in a school that you get the buy-in from the staff as well, if you're wanting yeah. to do a new idea, if they can understand the science behind it, they're far more likely to buy into the concept. And especially because sometimes there's either those people that are a little bit resistant because they they think they've seen it all, or yes. there's the people that are new that have perhaps got too much to go to do. And it's like, oh, that's something else that I've got to add on. Mm-hmm. And it's how you kind of manage all those different types of people and get them all on board in the same way right that's exactly it so the coaching model that we're talking about will work for um, a lot of staff in your school but you may have some teachers who for whatever reason really don't want to participate in that coaching program and you've got to listen to that and you've got to respect that you've maybe got to find out about, about why but If they, for whatever reason, don't want to participate in that, I would suggest quite strongly, well, don't make them um, find a different way to support their professional learning. What this book tries to do, Power Up Your Pedagogy, it tries to offer um, an individualized professional learning opportunity. Um, you, You can use this book yourself without collaborating with colleagues, or you can use the book in collaboration with colleagues. And we're all different. And some of us actually do prefer to work and to learn on our own. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, You you can get as much learning um, from a high quality book yourself as you can from collaborating with colleagues. It's, It's all about people being different and respecting that and just trying to support people in whatever way is going to work best for them. I've I've spotted one of my fellow colleagues in in the listeners, and I know that she wants to become a coach and wants to get into mentoring uh, trainee teachers. What are the attributes do you think that you need to be a good kind of coach and mentor? So I think you need to know what you're talking about in relation to the thing that you're coaching or mentoring on. Um, some people will argue that that pure coach in pure coaching, they will say. The answers are all within the person who you're coaching, and it's your job to to tease them out. Now, there's an element of truth in that, but you do need to be able to offer some specific steers and suggestions. You you do need to to know what you're talking about, I think, to be a really good instructional coach working with teachers. So, yeah, knowing what you're talking about is one. Well, good people skills, that sounds, that's, that's very general. So what do I mean by that? Well, the ability to adapt how you are working with someone depending on who that person is. 
Um, you need to be able to read people quite well. Um, you need to be able to adapt your style depending on the person who you're working with. Um, you do need to be a good listener and you do need to, this links back to my first point, knowing what you're talking about. The things that you say, they need to have value because the person who you're coaching will switch off pretty quickly if they don't have confidence in what you're saying or if what you're saying doesn't make any sense to them, they don't perceive it to be useful. So it's those, it's those two parts, I think, knowing what you're talking about and then having good people skills in that you, you can adapt um, depending on the person who you're working with. When, when I talk to the school leaders in my school, my deputies and my middle leaders, we talk about what leadership is. We're, we're always saying that leadership is about getting the best out of people. That's the essence of leadership, getting the best out of people. And it's the same principle that I think applies to, to a coach. You're trying to get the best out of the person who you're working with. And how, like, as you go up the school, how as a, as a head would you get the best out of your senior leadership team? That's a great question. <laughs> I just thought, I'd never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> how do I get the best out of my senior leadership team? Well, we've got a clear... There's a clear vision for the school. So we absolutely know where we're going and we've made the continuous improvement of teaching and learning the thing. So that's important, I think, to have uh, a clear direction. Um, it's about professional autonomy um, and making clear what the remits are for the particular people in your team, in my case, the deputy heads, um, and, and giving them autonomy over that remit. Um, I, I see my job as the head teacher of the school as having this, the strategic overview of the school. And then the day-to-day -day operational running of the school, that's, that's my deputies and it's my middle leaders. And it's about them having that autonomy over, over their remits. But that doesn't mean leave them on their own. Um, my newest deputy, um, who's just been appointed in the last few months, when she started she believed that there were we, we had an awful lot of meetings, she felt. She couldn't understand why we had so many senior leadership team meetings. But now she would say that she absolutely understands why we have so many meetings. And that any day that one of our planned meetings doesn't happen, um, well, the day doesn't feel as good. We, we've lost something of that connection. So it's about making space and time to sit down together, not for the sake of it, but just to, to talk things through, to bounce ideas off each other, to, to sound off a little bit when you need to. Um, and to have each other's back, I think. I think that's how you get, they, they, there's a degree of trust. They know they've got that autonomy and they can, they can take forward particular agendas as they see fit. They've talked it through with me beforehand. But then let's say that the ball gets dropped. Well, well they know but actually there's going to be some support there when that happens because it is going to happen. That's the thing. You can't, you can't be perfect and you can't predict every scenario as well. Yeah. You kind of have to go through it and then it, it's how you rise at that occasion. Yeah. Um, I have to ask, how as a head do you find the time to write books as well? How do you manage that all together? So it is... It is challenging. Yeah, the, there is no doubt about that. But I do think that the, the process of writing 
really does help to sharpen my thinking. So I think that I'm, I'm a better school leader, a better head teacher as a result of writing the books that I have, because the books cover all kinds of different themes, um, pedagogy, obviously, um, school leadership, um, the teaching delusion two, teaching strikes back and the teaching delusion hunt. There's a real focus on school leadership, on the development of professional learning cultures within schools. The second book has a really strong focus on curriculum. Um, all thinking about all of these things has helped me to become far, far clearer in my own mind um, about what I think is important and less important. And, and that's helped us as a school um, to, to strip things back and really concentrate on, on what I think are the core, the core areas. I don't know how much you know about our school, Hannah, but actually, and, and nobody's proud of this, on paper, I, I started as head teacher in August 2020. The school was inspected about 15 months before, and actually Berwickshire High School had the worst inspection report of any state school in Scotland ever. So what we had it was, was we had a job to turn the school around. Um, and of course, August 2020, we had the COVID pandemic as well. Um, and if you Google Berwickshire High School today, um, you, you'll, you'll just find good news stories about Berwickshire High School. Um, we were re-inspected not so long ago and we were signed off completely. And um, it's been really, really motivating for everybody who's a part of the school. The, the reputation of our school is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And how have we done it? Well, a clear direction um, and a focus on the right things, which is teaching and learning. Uh, the what and the how, the what being the curriculum and the how being pedagogy. And we're trying to just keep that at the center of everything that we're doing. And we've tried to build a really strong professional learning culture within the school and what we try to say to anybody who's interested perhaps in coming to work with us is you won't get a better in-school professional learning offer anywhere else. And we invest in our staff to invest in our students. And it's that, it's that mantra and that ideology that's, that's really, really helped us. I think that's really important at the kind of the heart of the school. If you're encouraging your teachers to grow and develop um, then it can just it just becomes contagious almost and you, you yes. all grow together and the school improves together yes that, that's right um, I don't know if you've read the teaching delusion but it kicks off with a model for school improvement with three cogs um, the first cog is a shared understanding of what makes great teaching that's where a lot of schools go wrong they don't have a shared understanding across the school about what great teaching actually looks like the second cog is a strong professional learning culture so it's that broad range of opportunities for your staff on a day-to-day, week-by-week basis to engage in high-quality professional learning. And when those two cogs turn, it's the third cog that starts to turn as well, which is the, the continuous improvement of, of teaching and learning in classrooms, departments and schools. Um, we've got a, a question from Lydia. How do you create a culture of growth? That's a big question too. <laughs> <laughs> right, so in the Teaching Delusion and the Teaching Delusion 2, I talk about teaching-centered leadership. And I think, I think that's, that's the model that you need. So teaching-centered leadership, um, it, it's all about putting in place good structures and systems to support staff to develop. So for example, um, in-school professional reading groups, um, staff-led workshops, 
um, a coaching program, these sorts of things. Berwickshire High School has invested in what we call a lead specialist in pedagogy. So this is a teacher who works for four days a week out of the classroom and one day a week in the classroom. And for those four days a week, this person is doing an awful lot of observation, an awful lot of coaching, um, working with other teachers to develop the sorts of workshops that we were talking about, but just, just focus pure and simple on in-school professional learning and, and the development of that offer. You need to invest in that as a school. Um, if you get that right, then what you're going to do is you're going to develop capacity in your, in your teachers. Every teacher is going to, to get better and better. In tandem with that, you have to be working with your middle leaders and your senior leaders to, to upskill them in the ways that we were talking about before, making sure that they really are expert in messages from cognitive science and educational research. That's imperative. Get that right and you'll see teaching quality improve across the school, which means you'll see student learning improve across the school, which means you'll see student outcomes improve. And that's the teaching-centered leadership model. What was the question, Hannah? <laughs> How do you create a culture of growth? Yeah, so in, investing in those sorts of opportunities, making time for them. Um, in Scotland, certainly, we have something called a working time agreement, which basically sets out um, what we can reasonably expect teachers to do with the time that they have out with uh, teaching and planning time. So there's 195 hours set out across the year. And we've got a big chunk of that devoted to professional learning. Um, so we've tried to, to strip away some of the, the busy, busy activities that teachers uh, might find themselves um, having to do so that they really can focus on their own professional learning. And I think that's the nice thing. I've, 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 prior to the school I'm in now, that was a very much a, um, a, a I helped set up the school. So I joined in the second yeah. year and it was, it was very forward thinking, very much encouraged to do lots of courses and, and, mm -hmm. but it was very much, they wanted everything to be kind of quickly turned around and impacted. And then the school I'm at now is kind of, it's very much, you have your own autonomy and you can do mm -hmm. kind of what you like within your section, which is, it's, it's kind of the two opposites, but they both have pros and cons. Like the first one, I just, uh, I was kind of catching up with myself. Like we'd spent quite a long time creating, um, we had it, what did we call them at the time? challenge for all grids where we had to write out what every single child uh, wanted or needed in our class to uh, work well um, and then we kind of basically spent two years writing that and then they went oh actually we're not doing that we're like I spent so many hours on that um, and then but then the school I'm, I am at I get very much the, the, the chance to kind of take my curriculum where I want it mm. to go and where I see it and where I envision it um, but then also I don't kind of have that um structure i kind of miss the structure a little bit of what the things i need to have mm -hmm. as well so i think there's it's it's finding that balance isn't it yeah i think that's absolutely right and um in part one of power up your pedagogy that that section that we were talking about that's on professional learning um it references daniel pink's drive um and the idea that what really determines people's motivation is three things autonomy which we've talked about, the desire to be self-directed, mastery, the desire to get better at what we do, and purpose, the desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And that's where that 
that thing about the, the, the direction setting uh, becomes so important. What is it that as a school we're really focusing on here? Um, and how can we be part of that, that thing that's bigger than ourselves? Well, in one way, it's focusing on your own professional development, but in another way, it's supporting your colleagues with theirs, which is where that collaboration comes in and it's where the coaching comes in. And the professional learning plan idea that's offered at the start of the book. Um, teachers, any teacher that I've worked with has always really, really appreciated that sort of model. What the professional learning plan idea, um, what it suggests is that as a teacher, you pick a particular element of pedagogy, um, let's say it's feedback, and then you, you set out um, in, in sort of bullet points how you're going to, to focus on developing that over the next 10 weeks or so. So it has its sections reading what are you going to read observation who are you going to observe feedback who, who will you ask in to observe you participate which groups are you going to to join in the school and share um how are you going to go about sharing your learning with other people every every teacher in berwickshire high school has a a professional learning plan like that it's not overly onerous to create it's just one side of paper um, we always give staff time to do that um, staff meeting time or an in-service day um, and, and staff have that, that degree of autonomy over it and it's focused on mastery and um, it starts to tick all of those boxes that Daniel Pink talks about. I think it's always the way I, I just make this brought to mind I almost think of it as like if your good friend that was a teacher had a, a job interview and they wanted to talk through the thing that they were going to do in their interview lesson and how they were going to make it tick the boxes and and kind of that kind of not a judge and that you're just going to coach them and give yeah. them additional ideas and you're talking it through and and is that like it, the first time you teach lessons it's never going to be perfect you you grow as a teacher and the more you teach the more mm. you learn and it's it's that kind of but we need to be kind of more of a habit that we're happy to talk about uh pedagogy i know that i've that i've got certain teacher friends that i can i can just talk about pedagogy mm -hmm. and teaching and learning and things and and if you're not necessarily got that around you you wouldn't necessarily think to kind of reflect on that lesson unless it's maybe going to sit in the staff room and went oh that went terribly and it's like oh okay let's, let's have i'm sure it didn't let's break it down or what what can i help you with if that makes sense Yep, that's exactly it. And that's what this book is trying to do. It, it's trying to give specific aspects of pedagogy that you can get into a conversation with somebody else about, or just think about yourself. Hence why we're, we're breaking down um, lessons into particular elements, um, and then breaking those elements down into the specific power-up prompts. And um, in terms of kind of the way that they learn I find that bit quite interesting um and I was thinking um of um when I got my students to do retrieval I was just looking at the um that session and um originally when I was doing the color theory I'd got them to match the the definition to the correct terminology and I thought they were getting it right every single time and and they can just um they can reel that off and it's fine and then I was like I'm just going to change it up I'm going to give them hmm. pictures and give them yeah 
try and get them to label the pictures. It's like they could tell me that a complementary colour was opposite each other and the colour world had made each other appear brighter. Mm. But could they tell me which ones out of context were actually a complementary pair? They couldn't. So for me, it's making sure that you kind of think of all aspects of a, a concept and that you're coming at it from lots of different directions to kind of help um, your students. Yeah, I think that's great. That's a great example. And um, one of the learning lessons, learning lesson 12, which is over learning leads to fluency. Um, it's, it's using that, that's it's a very similar terminology to what you just used, Hannah. It's talking about coming at the same content, but from different angles um, for exactly the reasons that you, you mapped out there. And um, in terms of the, the pedagogies, I'm going to put you on the spot. Is that, do you think that, because uh, I imagine it must have been quite difficult to cut it down to that number. Were there any that were kind of uh, rejected or was there any that you felt like if you didn't include that it would they're the vital ones? So there's an element of artificialness about it because, of course, there are cross-cutting themes and, and links. But to make sense of it in your own mind, I think it's helpful to compartmentalize. Um, if you've read The Teaching Delusion 3, Power Up Your Pedagogy, then you will know that one of the elements is prior learning. And so the assessment of prior learning. But the more I've worked with teachers on that one, the more I've thought that actually that would be more useful as what I've called spotlight assessment. So spotlight assessment is just using assessment in a formative way to do as it suggests, shine a spotlight on particular things that students know or can do, or the opposite, um, including common misconceptions. So it offers different spotlight assessment activities like um, true or false, odd one out, deliberate mistakes, multiple choice questions, concept cartoons, for example. But Spotlight assessment has a place at the beginning of a lesson to find out about what students already know and can do, where you're starting from, during a lesson, at the end of a lesson, as you're trying to get a measure of understanding. So that's a significant change, I guess, from the Teaching Delusion 3, that prior learning, as it was, that section, uh, became spotlight assessment because I just felt that that, that captured more. And I must admit, I do love the um, the image for this. It's it's the iceberg, isn't it? Where there's the bit at the top and then yeah. there's all the deeper understanding behind it that can you, you may know it, but can you apply it and, and really understand it? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the sketch notes are absolutely wonderful. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, Hannah. Do, do you have a favourite sketch note? Um, oh, that is, um, I should have thought about that one, shouldn't I? Um... Oh, I might have to... I, I'm going to ask you yours then. All right. <laughs> Sneaky. And then, to be fair, actually, no, no, no. I do, I've just found the one that I thought... Mm. It did make me giggle. The uh, differentiation one where they've got to jump yeah. over the river and it's getting wider. Um, yeah, I was going to pick that one too. Yeah, the jumping ditches <laughs> one. Yeah, I was absolutely. like, oh, which one was it? Which one was it? Trying to remember where it was. Um, but yeah, that one, it does... It makes me always think like... a kind of almost trying to do the split trying to desperately make the connection and sometimes you are almost trying to pull it out of your students like you can you can get there you can and break it down but um especially 
for me, I'm very much like I like breaking things down into step by steps and mm. and kind of making it, especially for me for visuals. I love adding the visuals and the examples and the and the non examples as well for yeah. the students to be able to understand what I'm expecting of them and help them kind of get there through those steps. But um, yeah, it's that idea that you kind of have that little little bit that they can get across and they can do it um, as opposed to that giant leap, leap that they're never going to make. Well, you know, you were asking me before about um, balancing the, the role of the head teacher against um, being the author and finding time. And sometimes it's about just blocking some time and saying, well, do you know what, this evening I'm actually going to have to do some reading and some writing or, or this weekend. And um, it's a case of, you know, get up super early at the weekend and try to get a lot of that done you know, before lunchtime, so you've still got a good part of the day. But that example of the ditch, that that, that absolutely came um, as a result of one day when we were out walking our dogs. We got two pugs, and um, we actually did need to to jump across a ditch. <laughs> and um, some some there is an element. I mean, it's it's not healthy to never switch off, but you know, sometimes just when you're out and about, something will happen, and you'll think, oh, that's that's a great analogy for what I was trying to write about there. So I must have been at that time trying to write about differentiation and this and idea just, of jumping. It just the ditch. popped into your mind at the time. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I was going to say, who yeah. is it that um, was it more you came up with the ideas and then um, she illustrated it, or was it more uh, kind of coming up with those together? So there's a really close synergy between the sketch notes and what what's written in the text. Um, Fanola is really creative, and she's translated the the text into visuals in a way that I never would have thought to do but when you look at them you you can see the link so one of the trusted techniques is called three meter ditches and it's basically suggesting that by their nature questions make people think but just because you ask a question doesn't mean that you make your students think in a desirable way some questions are just so easy or obvious that there was little point asking the question and some questions are the opposite you know they're they're just far too challenging and the whole ditch analogy is though a, a one meter ditch um, that, that's pretty straightforward to, to jump across that that doesn't take very much effort at all in terms of questioning that's probably too easy and um, what we're probably aiming for is the three meter ditch um, where you need to take a bit of a run and a jump and you've got that desirable thinking Try to do much more than that and you probably won't succeed. You'll fall in the ditch and you'll get wet. So the trusted technique is called three meter ditches and it gives some good practical illustrations about what a one meter, two meter, three meter um, type activity, thinking activity might look like. You know, Finola took that idea and turned it into a, a superb visual. And I kind of like the idea that um, us as teachers, we're all we're the bridge. <laughs> we're going to be right, the bit right, that right. helps them get across. It's just yeah. how we help them because we know, we know deep down that our kids know how to do it, and it's just mm -hmm. being able to give them the right tools to be able to to make the links and to get there themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I would say the other one I just remembered. I really like the hot water one, hot water bottle one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that's good too. Um, it was quite a nice little visual uh, instruction of kind of explaining the different versions of the same thing and how students might not necessarily understand it correctly. But you've got to make sure that they, they can apply it and understand each version. Um, 
it's so, it's that deeper understanding isn't it yeah and you know the process of Fanola creating the sketch notes has really deepened her understanding of what had been written so what you've got with the book are the sketch notes that she's created which are wonderful and which will really help anybody who's reading the book and um, it will support their learning but when you get to the reflective tasks there are there are three parts to each of them the first part is specific reflective questions that just drill into the the content that's gone before it but then the next part is a summary task activity and one of the things that suggests that readers could do is to create their own sketch note and it's that that process um, of really thinking critically about what you have just read, trying to make sense of that, and then creating something yourself, generative learning to, to capture that idea. That should be a really, really useful activity for, for any reader to engage in. Oh, I completely agree. Um, I'm doing my level seven apprenticeship in senior leadership at the moment. And um, I was on the in-person day uh, last week in London and I was sat, we got sat randomly and I was sat next to two executive heads of multiple schools. Yeah. And there was, they just said they were just fascinated watching me doing all my little sketches of the notes. They were like, right. they were watching yeah. me rather than actually listening to what was going on. Yeah. Um, so I love it. So, yeah. So I think there's learning that comes from both. There's learning that comes from studying somebody else's sketch notes um, but there's there's learning that comes from from creating your own arguably even more and that's the thing i do think sometimes it can make making notes more fun as well adding like little yeah. little changes and things um what made you start writing in the first place that's a good question as well so in scotland now if you want to become a head teacher then you have to um, you have to take a, a master's qualification. It's called into headship. Um, so back in about 2015, 2016, I started on the, the national into headship program. And as part of that, it was with the University of Edinburgh. I had to do a lot of reading and I had to do a lot of writing. And I was really out of the habit of doing that actually. Um, I hadn't hadn't worked in that way probably since I was an undergraduate, um, I did a degree in biochemistry. So that was the last time I'd, I'd done anything like that. And I didn't enjoy it, if I'm being honest with you, certainly to begin with, I found it a real chore. But that's what got me into the habit of getting up earlier in the morning and just getting some of that reading done and getting that, that writing done. And actually I realized that it, that it did start to, to sharpen my thinking about, about particular things. So that was one of the things. Another thing was uh, the school that I was working in at the time as the deputy head, Eyemouth High School, that had just had a really strong inspection. And there was a lot of work that the school was doing that I'd been leading around teaching and learning that other schools were starting to, to hear about. And we were getting an increasing number of schools get in touch and say, well, well, what is it that you're doing? Can we come and visit? One of the things we were doing was using the, the lesson evaluation toolkit that we created and which I talked about earlier. Um, so I, I decided there might be some value in, in creating a short book about some of the things that school was doing. Um, I was going to call the book Lesson Evaluation Toolkit, which is a rubbish title, but that's what I was <laughs> going to call it at that time. And then as I started to write about it, I realized that there were other things that I needed to say. So for example, if I was going to have this framework that set out the typical elements of a high quality lesson, then I'd probably have to start to write about these in some detail and start to exemplify um, what they 
they look like in the strongest examples and then have the non-examples. The whole thing just became bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's that's how it came about. I, I ended up really enjoying it. Um, so the, that book, The Teaching Delusion, it, it, it goes from an exploration of learning and what learning is into pedagogy. It explores the purpose of school. Um, it goes into school leadership. Um, it covers a broad range of areas, but I get really, really nice feedback from people about that book and how useful they've found it. I'm 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 not going to lie that's going to be my next on my list so um because right. I, I I for my um apprenticeship I have to lo- log six hours of off the job learning which is my reading and, and listening yep. and things so I'm like anything I can get my hands on at the moment that's going to help me um with that process so I've got my first assignment coming up so I'm not, it's it's right. going to be one of those it's going to be a bit of a shock to get back into writing academically um but I am looking forward to it. Yeah, there's a lot of learning will come from that, Hannah. The last thing I'll maybe say about it is that I've enjoyed writing for myself and for, well, for the for the audience for whom I'm intending, you know, teachers and school leaders. I've enjoyed that process, writing these books, uh, more than I did the academic writing. For all I got a lot from that, you have to write in a particular way. Yeah. Whereas one of the things that people do consistently say to me about the books that I've written is they, they can hear my voice in it. So anybody who knows me, they say that when they're reading it, they, they, they effectively hear my voice because I've, in places it's quite conversational. Um, and I think it's at its best when, it, when it's conversational like that. So it, it's, it's talking about important things, but it's doing it in a way that, that hopefully is quite accessible. And I think that's the thing, especially when you're a teacher and you, you're quite busy, you don't want anything that's going to be quite hard to digest. You want it to be easy to read, to be able to, essentially, because when you're in the school, if you're going to read something like one of these books at school as well, everything happens around you, don't doesn't it? So you need to be able right. to pick it up and put it down and, and kind of delve into it at the points that you need it. And I think that's the nice thing about having the illustrations as well, is you can mm-hmm. quickly kind of work out where you were and kind of continue on and it and it's broken down quite manageably to read which is nice yes yes exactly and it's and it's out on monday friday actually friday friday yeah. oh yeah. gosh Fri- not friday long the at all yeah there are a few it's out in the world uh, there's a few people have um, an advanced copy um but official publication date is friday the 10th of march and we're having a book launch in edinburgh book launch party um on on friday evening and that's available through our lovely sponsors at, at john cat as well right yeah so yeah the books available um at all good retailers including uh john cat and, and their their online bookshop well, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me this evening. That is flown past. Um, I'll give the final kind of words to you. Is there anything else you'd like to to say about your book before we end the show? Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you as well, Hannah. Um, I'll just repeat the title. It's Power Up Your Pedagogy, the Illustrated Handbook of Teaching. It's out on Friday. If anybody uses Twitter as a professional learning resource, then please do follow me. Um, my handle is at tt delusion um, i have a website my website is nextleveleducational.com and if anybody would like to get in touch with me my email address is bruce at nextleveleducational.com 
Thank you very much, uh, especially on a Monday evening. What a way to start the week. So thank you very much for that. I've enjoyed being you. on. Thanks, Hannah. <laughs> You're welcome. And thank you to everybody that's listened and anyone that's listening back online as well. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.